Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Hope you had your strong coffee this morning. I know I did. I definitely needed it. I don't know why. Yes, I do. I do appreciate the extra sunlight that we will begin receiving this week, uh, but I don't like losing that extra hour of sleep. But it is good to see you here this morning with us. Two weeks ago, before I went back to Louisiana to do a wedding this past weekend, two weeks ago we talked about, anybody remember? I know we've slept a lot since then. The Limited Commission, Matthew chapter 10. Surprise, surprise, I wonder if you can think about what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the Great Commission this morning. The Great Commission. According to a Barna Group research study from 2019, a few years ago now, did you know that over 50%, 51% in fact, of people who claim to be Christians are unaware of the concept known as the Great Commission? They don't understand what the Great Commission is. Now surely that percentage would be much lower in the Lord's church, I would hope. Hopefully, we as members of the Lord's church, the one church that we read about in the New Testament, surely we understand what the Great Commission is. But those who call themselves Christians at large, if you will, 51% claim that they are unaware of what the Great Commission is. Another finding from Barna that very same year found that almost half 47% of practicing Christian millennials, quote-unquote, profess that evangelism is actually morally wrong. 47% of people my age who claim to be Christians profess that evangelism is actually morally wrong, that it is wrong for you to share your faith with someone. That's what we're dealing with today. That is the mindset that has taken hold because of the postmodernistic society in which we live. Now, I realize that the numbers should be a lot better if those statistics were taken only from members of the Lord's Church. But that said, do we think that there's a problem as it pertains to the mindset as it pertains to the Great Commission? I think there is. And so we ask ourselves, well, why is the church not growing like it once did? Why is the church not growing at the rate that it once did in the 1950s and 60s? Could it be that some of these mindsets have crept in to the Lord's church? as it pertains to the Great Commission. This morning, I want to talk about evangelism. And I want to ask the question, regarding the Great Commission, are we doing our part? The Great Commission, of course, is found in four places in your New Testament. Probably the most familiar, Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. That's the first great commission account that you will come across as you read in your New Testament. You can also think about Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. 
You can think about Luke 24, verses 44 through 49. And also there's one at the beginning of Acts as well. Acts 1, verses 4 through 8. Now, I want to ask this. Regarding those Great Commission passages, who was that Great Commission given to? Now, in terms of chronologically speaking, in terms of directly speaking, that Great Commission was given first to the apostles, right? Chronologically speaking. And sometimes we find members of the church who are not evangelizing ever, not even once in their life, they'll say this, well, that was just for the apostles. Can you help me prove that that is wrong? Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 28. Let's look at that account of the Great Commission. And let's show very clearly that the Great Commission was not, in fact, only for the apostles. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, the apostles, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here it is, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus says you need to go and you need to make disciples. And you need to make disciples from all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what do you need to do once you make those disciples? You need to teach them to do all these things that I'm commanding you. What had Christ just commanded to the apostles? To evangelize to spread the good news. And therefore, very clearly, very logically, we can see that if the apostles were commanded to preach the gospel, we are as well. I find it interesting to think about this. If someone were to honestly take the view that, well, the evangelism, it only applies to the apostles. Now, we have clearly demonstrated that is wrong. But if someone takes that view, then what happens to the Lord's church when the apostles die? Logically speaking, what does that mean? That means that evangelism dies, and what happens to the Lord's church? It dies. And what did Jesus promise in Matthew 16, verse number 18? The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. You know what that means? That means the church will not die. And as long as this earth remains, the church is going to be here. And it may be in a remnant, but it's going to be here. And we trust that and we believe that. And thus, we have the seed, which is the Word of God, and we need to proclaim it. We need to preach it. We need to be looking for those souls that are the soils that Jesus spoke about in the parable of the sower, and we need to find the soil, and we need to spread the seed. And we need to proclaim the Word faithfully so that we can do our part in fulfilling the great mission. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Verse 
beginning in verse number 1. Does the Great Commission apply to us? And we all shake our head. Yes. Acts 8, beginning in verse number 1, what we find here, if you look at the previous chapter, we have the first Christian martyr who was Stephen. Stephen was stoned to death because he preached the gospel of Christ, and they didn't want to hear it. It cut them to their heart, and not in the good way. We read about the pricking of the heart in Acts chapter 2 in, in a good sense, and they, 3,000 of them obeyed the gospel. But in Acts chapter 7, they were cut to the heart, and they ran upon Stephen, and they stoned him to death. They stoned him to death because he was preaching the gospel, and they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to turn to Christ. They were stuck in their ways. And so this happens, and we find in verse number 58 of chapter 7, as they cast Stephen out of the city and they stoned him to death, the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's our introduction to Saul. And Saul, of course was vehemently opposed to the gospel of Christ for a long time. We know what happens. Eventually, he is converted, and we know him as the Apostle Paul. But at this point, he is vehemently opposed to the gospel of Christ. And as we begin to read in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, what is Saul doing to followers of Christ? Notice this, beginning in verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his, that is Stephen's, death. At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Incidentally, this is another passage that proves the Great Commission wasn't just for the apostles. Because the apostles are staying right there. It's everyday Christians that are going out because of this great persecution. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. These were dark days in many ways for the church. But even so, the church grew. Because verse number four, what did the Christians do when they were scattered abroad because of this persecution? Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. They went everywhere preaching the word. So much so that when we find in Acts 17, verse number six, the Christians had turned the world upside down with the doctrine of Christ. Now, before we move on to our next point this morning, I want to ask you a question. Was every one of those Christians who were scattered abroad because of this perse persecution, was every single one of them stepping into a pulpit Or was it the case that you had some of them stepping into pulpits and you had others who were working quietly behind the scenes convincing people of the truth of the gospel? That's what was happening. 
these Christians were going everywhere preaching the word. Some went and preached in pulpits, or the first century version of pulpits anyway, whatever that would have been. Some went preaching the word through their personal conversations with people that they knew. Some went preaching the word by having a Bible study. Think about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. What was that in that chariot? That was a Bible study. Because the Ethiopian eunuch was reading in Isaiah chapter 53, and he wanted to understand what it meant. And so Philip runs and joins himself to the chariot and proclaims to him Jesus. And the eunuch obeyed the gospel. That's what the Christians were doing. So with this in mind, I want to ask you this morning, are you doing your part in evangelizing this lost world around us? I want us to go back now in our Old Testaments, and I want us to go to a book known as Nehemiah. And I want to grab a concept from Nehemiah chapter 4. And I want us to find some application here as it pertains to the Great Commission. Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse number 10. Do you remember what's going on in the book of Nehemiah? What are they doing in the book of Nehemiah? This is after the captivity. This is after they have gone to Babylon because of their sin for 70 years. They've come back now, and what are they doing? They're rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And they've got to do this. They've got to get this done so that they can have protection from the enemies round about. There's a man by the name of Sanballat here. Good guy or bad guy? Bad guy, right? And Sanballat does not want this to take place. He does not want Jerusalem to receive its walls around the city again. And so what he does is he stirs up the enemies of Judea to try to interfere with this rebuilding of the walls. But what are we about to find here? Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse number 10. All the Jews came and did their part to rebuild the walls. Let's start reading in verse number 10. Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there's so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, From whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us, 
and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. And at the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. What's the point? Christians, as we go about this life of building up the walls of Jerusalem, by the way, what is the church? Spiritual Jerusalem. As we go about building up the walls, it is going to take every last one of us doing our part. All of us. Everybody is important. All hands on deck. One man cannot build the Lord's church unless it's the Lord. But when we're talking about mere men, one man can't do it alone. It takes all hands on deck. It takes everyone working together to build up through evangelism the Lord's church. You think one man could have stood up to Sanballat alone? Do you think that Nehemiah could have got in Sanballat's face and said, you're not going to interfere with this work. See the army I have behind me? And he takes a look behind him and they all have fled. And Sanballat says, you and what army? Right? Nehemiah needed all of Israel to rebuild this wall. And Christians, the same is the case. We all have to do our part to build up the Lord's church through the work of evangelism, through seeking and saving the lost. And so we all have to stand on our part of the wall. We all have to grab our, our swords and our bows and our spears, and we have to work together to evangelize the lost in this community. If we do that, I can promise you this, the church will grow. If just one man or two or three 
are doing all of the evangelizing. I want you to tell me this. Why will that not work very efficiently? For one reason, if one or two or three are the only ones evangelizing, will they evangelize some folks? Yes, they will. And if you keep in mind the parable of the sower, what if the ones that those one or two or three folks are evangelizing happen to all be the bad soil? But what if you have 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 folks evangelizing? Are you going to come across some bad soil? Well, sure. But how much more so will the seed be dispersed so that there will be a whole lot more good soil that is found? It's simple math. It's simple math. If we do our part in evangelizing this lost world around us, if, we, if every one of us evangelized just one person this year, just one, and let's say that 10% of that group that was evangelized is the good soil, how many folks are added to the, to the fold? We all can play a part in evangelizing the lost. Our last point we want to look at this morning, what are some ways that you, Christian, can help man your part of the wall? In thinking of Nehemiah chapter 4, in the application that we have made. Man your part of the wall. Build up Jerusalem. How can you do it? How can you do it, Christian? Number one, I think you need to pray. In fact, I know we need to pray for evangelism. I've mentioned this many times. We must pray for doors of opportunity to evangelize lost souls. And when we pray that prayer, we need to have eyes to see, and we need to have the ability to recognize when those opportunities come, because I guarantee you they will come. And when they come, we need to pray that we have courage to utilize those opportunities to speak the truth of the gospel of Christ to those that we know who are lost. I know this is the case because it has happened in my life. I have seen this, and it works. We need to pray. If the apostles understood the importance of praying, for doors of opportunity, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, and Colossians 4, verse 3. Praying for doors of opportunity, recognizing those doors of opportunity when they came. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, and Colossians 4, verse 3. If the apostles understood the importance of prayer, we must understand the importance of prayer 
as it pertains to evangelism. Number two, how can we evangelize? Have conversations. Have conversations with people. This is so simple, and yet it's so difficult, isn't it? It's so difficult because our world is wrapped up in politics. Our world is wrapped up in sports. Our world is wrapped up in entertainment. Our world is wrapped up in academia and all these other things. And neutral things can be good or bad depending on what's going on. But what's the primary focus? Where is our citizenship? It's in heaven. That should be our focus. And so we ask ourselves, as it pertains to to the conversations that we have on a day-to-day basis, what are we talking about more? Are we talking about spiritual things? Or are we talking about the politics and the entertainment and the sports and the academia, etc.? We need to be looking for opportunities within our daily conversations with people to share the gospel of Christ, to give us, to, for us to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is in us with meekness and fear, 1 Peter 3, verse 15. If somebody opens up to us about a difficulty that they're facing in life, can I tell you about a difficulty that I had in my life and how God helped me? If someone tells us, well, you know, I've always wondered that about the Bible. Can I ask you a question about this? Yes, ask me. Uh Uh-oh, I don't know the answer. That's okay. You know what? That is the best question I've heard in a long time. I don't know the answer to that, but I'll tell you what, I'll study it and I'll get back with you. I'll go talk to my preacher. I'll talk to my elders and, and we'll study that. and I'll get back with you. That's a really good question. What about if somebody wants to engage with us on their beliefs that are we know that are contrary to what the Bible teaches? That's an opportunity. We need to pray that we recognize those opportunities and seize those opportunities. We need to be ready and willing to speak up in those situations. How many times in our life do we get these opportunities and we squander them? I'll be the first to admit that I have squandered many, and I'm ashamed of that. And so I need to pray for courage. I need to pray for those opportunities and for the courage to speak up when those opportunities come. Number three, invite. Again, this is so simple. So simple, and yet it can be hard. Invite people to church, and I understand this can be so intimidating, especially nowadays, right? Because what do people not want to talk about? Politics and religion, especially nowadays. Do it anyway. Invite somebody anyway. And you know what? The more you do it, the easier it'll get. Say a quick prayer before you get ready to invite somebody. Lord, I'm nervous about this. Lord, I'm scared. Please help me. 
and then do it. Guess what? The next time you do it, it'll be that much easier. And the next time you do it, it'll be that much easier. And before you know it, you're doing it all the time, right? So here's how you do it. Hey, would you like to come hear our new preacher? I've been here almost two years. I think that, I don't know. Maybe I'm still new. What about this? We're having a special day at church coming up, gospel meeting. And we're supposed to invite everybody. We're supposed to invite a bunch of people. Would you be the one that I invite? Why not? Something like that is a way that we can help do our part to man the wall. What about this? Utilize our card program. This is a key tool that many congregations are utilizing and, and we have been utilizing, and it is excellent. I'm telling you, we have heard some wonderful feedback from some folks who have received these cards. Great feedback. We need to use it. The house-to-house -house school of evangelism, perhaps you've heard of it. We, we use the house-to-house, heart-to-heart mail-outs, and there are people in the community that they know the church of Christ. They know the Lord's church because of those mail-outs. Within that program, they heavily, heavily emphasize, hey, this card program, it works. You know why they know it works? Because they've seen the results. And they've seen congregations grow to a large degree because of that right there. Card program. Let's use those opportunities. What about this? Greet visitors. No visitor should ever leave the services of the Lord's church without being greeted by several folks. And this is something that I want to, to uh, commend this good congregation on. I have heard from folks that this is one of the friendliest churches they have ever been. We excel at this, and that's wonderful. We need to greet folks. We need to tell them, hey, I'm glad you're here. Hey, uh, I noticed that you are a visitor. Uh, would you like to go to lunch? I'll pay for it. Let's go to lunch. We're glad that you're here. Never let an opportunity go by that you don't greet a visitor. Go sit by that visiting family instead of your usual pew. That's okay. It'll be there next week. Go sit by that elderly gentleman and talk with him, the one that you've never seen before. Go introduce yourself to that shy young couple that's just now getting started in the world and they're a little nervous. They, newlywed couple, they've never been to church before. Go sit and talk to them. Go talk to the new family that just moved here from out of state. Invite a visitor to lunch with you and buy their lunch. Watch the evangelism opportunities roll in when you do those sorts of things. What about this? Financially support the work of 
the church. Somebody says, Preacher, you don't understand. I don't have the gift of gab, like at all. I'm introverted. What does that mean? Shy. I don't talk. You don't understand. I don't talk. The Lord has not blessed me with the gift of gab. You know, that's okay. Can you write a check to a missionary? Can you support a preaching school student for $50 a month? Can you support Scattered Abroad Podcast Network and the preaching of the gospel that's going on through that? Can you sit with somebody else who does most of the talking while you sit there and chime in every once in a while during during a Bible study? You can do that. So, no excuses. Don't hold back. You can do your part, whatever that part may be. And you may think, well, it's just a small part, but it's an important part. It is an important part. Finally, number seven. If you don't remember anything else that I said this morning, please remember this one. Have Bible studies. Sit down around the kitchen table and pull out one of these, a Bible, and systematically go through it and explain the authority of God's Word. God created this universe. No, we're not. We didn't evolve. You got to start with that with a lot of folks nowadays because that's what a lot of people believe. No, this is the inspired Word of God. Let me prove it to you with all the prophecies and the scientific foreknowledge, etc. God is real. This is His Word. Here's the authority of His Word. Here's the authority of His Son. Guess what? His Son gave authority to His apostles as well. Hey, let's read about them in the New Testament. Hey, this is His church. Jesus said, I, built, I will build my church, not a whole bunch of churches. Why do we have all this confusion He said, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is sin. Sin separates us from God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our sins put Jesus Christ on the cross. He shed his precious blood for us. His blood can wash away our sins. Can I tell you how? plan of salvation. Can you do that? You know all that, right? You know all that. Can you walk somebody through that? You got your Bible. You can let the Bible do all the talking. We've got to have Bible studies with people. We've got to get them in this because this is what's going to judge the thoughts and intents of their heart. Hebrews 4 verse 12. If we get people into this word again on a very large scale like was happening in 1950s and 60s and 70s, if we get people into this word, I guarantee you we're going to see results because God's word will not return void.
We talked about having conversations with people, and those are wonderful. It's one of the tools we've mentioned. It's a way that you can man your part of the wall. Conversations about godly things, spiritual things, we need to do that, and we need to let those conversations turn into Bible studies. I tell you what, those are some great questions. Would you like to come over to my house and have dinner? And we can... You can bring your Bible, and and we can talk about that question and some others that you might have. I tell you what, my preacher just had a sermon on that subject. I'm sure he would love to come over to my house for dinner. And you can come too, and we can talk about that. It's as simple as that. But we've got to get people back in the book. If we get them in the book, And if they have a true and honest heart, and many people don't, there's nothing we can do about that. But we sow the seed indiscriminately. We sow the seed not knowing what their heart is going to be. We might think that the, the one least likely of all to ever obey the gospel, he might be the very one, or she might be the very one who will. We don't know because we don't know what's in their heart. But God does, and his word will determine what's in their heart. And so we sow the seed indiscriminately. We get them in the Word, and it'll do its job. Think about that this morning regarding evangelism. Seven different things that you, Christian, can do to do your part to help evangelize the lost. The question is, will we do it? Will we obey the Lord's great commission? The last item of business on the Lord's agenda before he ascended to heaven and to the right hand of the throne of God was to give us the great commission. Will we obey it? He has entrusted it with us. Are we doing what we can do to fulfill it? Think about your life this morning. Just reiterating Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came and spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, amen. The Mark account, Mark 16, 15 and 16, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Do you believe this morning? Are you willing to be baptized this morning, repenting of your sins and confessing your faith in Christ? Are you willing to be baptized into Christ this morning so that you can have access to the precious blood of Jesus Christ that will wash away your sins as you call on the name of the Lord, Acts 22, verse 16. Do that this morning if you've never done so. If you need to come for any other reason, we ask that you please come. Together we stand and sing.